The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. Breaking news this morning, developments around the Evergrande Group prices. Reports say the company may have to sell off part of its business. This is a stock halted in Hong Kong. We'll show you just how big this story really is. Facebook at Facebook no more. The whistleblower at the center of the latest scandal for the company, breaking her silence just days before she testifies on Capitol Hill. And will Congress act on her incredible claims just how dangerous the company might really be? A crisis in California as an oil spill off Los Angeles sends authorities in a rush to contain a potential environmental disaster. President Biden unveiling an all-new China trade policy this morning as the supply chain and cargo crunch only gets worse. And chaos at the Federal Reserve, as yet another senior official gets caught up in a stock trading scandal. It is all happening on this Monday morning, October 4th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for being with us. It is good to be back with you. And as you can tell from the show's open, there is a lot of news to get to today. So let us get right to your Monday money. Futures, they are lower across the board right now. We are down about 79 points on the Dow, 67, a higher percentage on the NASDAQ. Now, on Friday, it was a good start to the month of October, but otherwise, It has been weak lately. In fact, the NASDAQ 100 is actually down 3.5% over the last five sessions. The S&P down about 2%, the worst weekly performance since all the way back in February. Now, bond yields, they have been a big part of the story. The 10-year yield actually moving down. It is back below 1.5% right now. We've also got to hit oil this morning. It is slightly lower, but it has been red hot lately. In fact, Crude oil up 9% in the past month. And do keep in mind, there is an OPEC meeting later on today. Expectations are the group will add its 400,000 more barrels a day to the market. But is that going to be enough to cut prices or is demand growing faster? We will, of course, monitor that OPEC meeting all day. And we've got Alima Croft on in a few minutes to talk about it and what OPEC may do. And in the crypto markets, there is more red on the in the green... More red than green on the screen, he tried to say at 5.02 a.m. We are seeing losses of down 2 to 5% across the board. Although, again, a lot of strength here lately. Ether has been very strong, up about 20% in a month. But they are all down right now across the board. All right, well, as we said, and as you can tell, we have got a lot to get to today. But we have got to begin in D.C. because we have breaking news from the White House right now on trade. Kayla Tausche joining us now with more on this. Kayla. 
Brian, good morning. For the last six months, the administration has conducted an in-depth review of the existing trade policy toward China and how or whether it should be continued or changed. And in a speech today, the U.S. Trade Representative Ambassador Catherine Tai will outline a strategy that has four parts. The first, maintaining existing tariffs on about $360 billion in Chinese goods, but beginning a new process for companies to apply to be exempted from those. She will also resume direct engagement with Chinese counterparts. A call there is expected to happen soon. There's also a plan to work with allies to align policies meant to challenge Beijing and finally demanding that China fulfill its pledges in the existing phase one trade agreement, highlighting specific areas where China is not in compliance. Now, the purchase targets in that deal are perhaps the lowest hanging fruit. Beijing had agreed that over the two years ending this December, it would buy 200 billion more dollars in U.S. goods than it did in 2017. That was previously the highest year on record. But census data show that this year, the U.S. has exported $82 billion to China. That's about a third of the annual goal that is stated in the text of the deal. And the deal gives the U.S. several tools to hit back at China for noncompliance. But senior officials wouldn't say which specific tools uh, the administration is leaning toward using. It will see how China responds to this overture first, but it will not be seeking any phase two deal. Brian? All right, so a couple of questions here, Kayla. Uh, Timeline, what do we know about potential timelines going forward? And also, how is China likely to respond to some of these, I I guess you'd call them offers or suggestions? Well, that's a nice way of putting it, Brian, but certainly for the timeline, the deal makes very clear that those additional purchases uh, need to be made within the two years that end this year. So essentially, this is a warning shot to China saying that it has... Uh, at least three months to attempt to make good or at least close some of the gap uh, on its purchases that have remained far below what was laid out in the deal. So uh, we could see some movement on that uh, by the end of the year. But on the likely response, it's really not clear. On one hand, President Biden did speak with President Xi uh, in early September and perhaps alluded to where this strategy was going. On the other hand, uh, this is not what Beijing is has been asking for or has been looking for, nor has the business community. Uh, Both Beijing and the business community have been seeking more tariff relief. And the U.S. Trade Representative is going to try to limit the impact on the U.S. economy by carving out some of those tariffs. But the fact that most of them will remain in place uh, is certainly not the outcome that they had wanted. Brian? But, but, But very quickly, it does sound from your reporting that at least the two sides are indeed talking. They are indeed talking, and we will see uh, whether and when that call between the trade representative and her counterpart happens, if that remains on the books after the text of the speech comes out today, Brian. A big story there, and for now, the tariffs do remain. Kayla Tausche breaking that news out of D.C. this morning. Kayla, we do appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so let us stay with news out of China and what has been one of the biggest market stories and maybe market risks out there. That is the fate of China's Evergrande Group, one of, if not the, world's most in-debt companies, and the fear that it will not be able to pay back what it owes. There is some new reports on the company this morning, as well as a trading halt in Hong Kong. Bertha Coombs is here now with this side and a very different China story, but Bertha, no doubt, a big one.
Yeah, one that people are going to be watching very closely. Brian, good morning. So distressed property developer China Evergrande is reportedly planning to sell a half stake in its property management unit to Hobson Developments for more than $5 billion, with both stocks halted ahead of what's likely to be a game-changing transaction. Now, while both companies have yet to officially confirm the report out of China's state-backed Global Times, well, they pretty much spelled it out. Evergrande Property Services, the Evergrande subsidiary in question, said the halt was pending, quote, an announcement concerning inside information and a possible general offer for the shares of the company, while Hobson said its shares were halted pending an announcement about a transaction involving a Hong Kong-listed Target company, which it didn't name, but pretty much we know this is going to happen, it seems. A buyout of its property services division would mark the latest move by Evergrande, which faces more than $300 billion in total liabilities to relieve its liquidity crisis as it faces what could become the biggest debt restructuring in Chinese history. The company has already raised some funds by unloading assets like its electric vehicle arm and its Hong Kong office building. Uncertainty around Evergrande and this morning's deal roiling Asian markets in overnight trade with Hong Kong closing down, as you can see there, about 2%. So this could be a big overhang lift, Brian, if they go ahead and announce this soon. Yeah, if they can do it. But I'll tell you what, maybe a company that most of us had never heard of before and coming up in the RBI, Bertha, we are going to lay out just exactly how big that company really is. Some shocking stats there. Bertha, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right. In the meantime, on Wall Street, Evergrande, just one of the headwinds that we are facing lately is the markets and investors try to hit reset after what's been a tough week. Now, despite the struggles, your next guest is finding opportunity in the markets overall, including one stock, he says, could be an interesting sort of stay-at-home-ish play. Lee Baker is the owner and president of Apex Financial, and we welcome him back. Lee, it's good to have you back on. Are, how back how closely, if at all, are you watching this Evergrande Group story? As closely as possible. You know, depending on how this plays out, it's going to royal markets around the globe, so you've got to pay attention to it. Uh, we'll look forward, like everyone else, to see how this announcement plays out. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's a lot of talk about whether or not China's going to bail them out. Do they sell themselves? They kind of came out of nowhere. If the situation resolves itself, either the company's selling off part of itself or the government bails them out, or we just, <laughs> we just stop hearing about it mysteriously, what kind of an outcome are you looking for and connect the dots, Lee, to the U.S. markets and, and your clients and investors. Yeah, well, you know, candidly, what I'm looking forward to is going back to where most of us were probably about 45 days ago. And that's not hearing any news at all about Evergrande. You know, if you talk to most people, uh, it was totally unknown uh, here until a month or so ago. Uh, and uh, getting out of the headlines, uh, it's just one additional thing that adds to this uh, you know, boil, you know, it's October and, and we got Halloween and I look at this and, and I've got this image in my head of the, the witches stirring the, the pot of their brew. Uh, this is just one more uh, ingredient added to that pot that we just don't need right now. So absolutely looking forward to getting beyond this. Yeah, we've also got these trading scandals at the Federal Reserve. We've got this move in bond yields as well. I mean, 
By the way, that's what September Lee tends to do. That's why we talk all the time about September being historically the worst month uh, for the market. So there are some of the risks. Give us some of the good news sides to the market story. What are the what are the, the winds in our sails, if you will, Lee? So you know, the winds in our sails is even though we're going in, in fits and starts, we are still healing from an economic standpoint. Uh, this this next quarter is probably going to be a little rough. Uh, you know, we started off the year like, you know, uh, with gas, you know, and, and, and markets took off. I would expect that overall, as we look to the first quarter of 2022, uh, that things will begin to accelerate again. Uh, we're getting beyond the Delta variant. Uh, the COVID numbers have continued to go down since around Labor Day. Uh, those are all positive signs. Uh, candidly, when we're talking to our clients, some of this turbulence that we're seeing here uh, in September and uh, that I expect to continue to see into October presents some buying opportunities for a lot of people. Uh, so those are some positive aspects uh, where there's some uh, some volatility that's going to cause some pullback on some very solid companies that are going to provide some opportunities for our clients. Well, let's find some opportunities for your clients and our viewers as well. And one of the names that you brought with us today, Lee, is a name that we talked about in Barron's last week. It, you know, it's sort of an it's almost a natural gas play, which we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, and that is Scott's Miracle Grow. The stock has really sold off in the last couple of months. You think maybe that sell off has been a little bit overdone? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been a bit of an overshoot. Uh, they've got solid fundamentals. There's a, a hydroponic component uh, to Scott's miracle Grow, uh, the ability to grow things without it. But on the fertilizer side, things, as you mentioned, uh, one of the things that does give me a little bit of a pause, but still, uh, with a 17, uh, you know, forward-looking PE, uh, it looks like a good opportunity, and I think it's been oversold. Now, on the side that gives me a little caution, natural gas prices are, are just through the roof, and they're causing complications around the yep. globe. So. Uh, that's going to weigh down on some of the fertilizer. Lee Baker, Apex Financial. Lee, it's a pleasure to get you on. Kicking off the week strong. Lee, have a great Absolutely. day and a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay. All right. Take care. So we, thank you, we are just getting started here on a busy Monday. We come back. We're going to talk more about oil and natural gas. Will OPEC decide to throw more barrels on the market? They've got a virtual meeting today. Halima Croft will be here with more on that coming up next. Plus, a major cleanup operation underway after a massive oil spill off the Southern California coast. Look at those tough scenes. We're going to give you more details ahead. And then the damning claims of a Facebook whistleblower over how the company may know it is dangerous, but chooses to do nothing about it. Very busy hour still ahead. We're back right after. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome or welcome back here. There is a major cleanup operation underway off Los Angeles, California. This after a massive oil spill dumped an estimated 126,000 gallons of crude oil into the Pacific Ocean. Oil has already begun to show up on beaches in Orange County, with officials saying they have no idea how long the cleanup effort will take. The spill is because of a break in a pipeline from an offshore oil platform to a transfer station in Long Beach. It is all owned by a company called Amplify Energy. The ticker there, AMPY. And shares of Amplify, they are down 28% right now on that, actually 30%, excuse me, on that spill news. Now, California Congresswoman Michelle Steele has already sent a letter to President Biden requesting a major disaster declaration. All this as the company and others race to minimize the damage. We've seen images of oil on the water and clumps of oil washing up on California beaches. Much more as this story develops throughout the day. All right, let's talk more about oil and natural gas because prices for both have been surging lately. Crude oil is up 10% in a month and natural gas is up more than 20% to about $5.60. But that number is just U.S. traded natural gas. In Europe and Asia, NatGat prices are at more than $25 or even $30 equivalent on the spot market as there is panic buying ahead of the winter. And it has sent the market parabolic. OPEC meeting later on today. It is another virtual meeting, but it could have very real-world consequences for global markets. As the group expected to put 400,000 more barrels on the market, but will that be enough to move prices down? Let's talk more all about it with RBC Capital Markets' Halima Croft. Halima, great to have you on again as well. It must be OPEC Day. What are your expectations for their meeting and their decision later on today? I mean, really, all eyes will be on the Saudi oil minister, His Royal Highness Prince Abdelaziz bin Salman. I mean, he really is now the J-Pal of the oil markets. And the real question is, you know, will the Saudis and OPEC essentially say 400,000 barrels additional coming on the market is not enough? We're going to do more because we are concerned about a tightening oil market, particularly because of the substitution needs for oil. I mean, the big question is, if we have a cold winter, are we going to have more demand in Europe and in Asia for oil as a substitution product because there's going to be real issues about power generation? And so I do think that there is a significant chance that they simply say 400,000 is not enough. We'll do more. Now, if they don't put more than 400,000 on the market, I think they will signal, though, that they're meeting every month and they have the ability to adjust as needed. This is the new thing, the monthly meeting structure. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw it over the weekend, but uh, Pioneer Natural Resources CEO Scott Sheffield, yes. by the way, the only oil company CEO I've actually ever seen at an OPEC meeting yes. and one of the most respected guys out there, yes. over the weekend telling the Financial Times that basically OPEC is in control, that, that American producers don't have the, the ability now to control prices because they're not growing, that it's all about OPEC. Would you agree? I mean, really... I mean, OPEC's the only game in town, but really I would say it's really about Saudi Arabia. I mean, what country 
has the ability right now to surge production in order to cool this off. We're really only talking about a handful of those countries. And of those countries, Saudi Arabia is sitting on the most barrels they could deploy to try to cool this off. And we know His Royal Highness Prince Abdelaziz really thinks of himself as the central banker of oil. So I do think, again, if they don't put more barrels on than 400,000, I mean, I expect they will. But if they don't, I know he's going to signal that they are standing ready and willing to do so. And they will be closely watching market conditions. He has caused this whole Fed-like meeting structure to actually happen. He very much wanted to have a rapid response mechanism with OPEC. Remember, Brian, we used to go to Vienna twice a year and they were stuck with a policy. Now they can change every month as needed. Well, don't say it too soon, Halima, because I, I do I do selfishly hope that we get back to Vienna for an in-person meeting again at, at some point. Uh, that said, <laughs> that said, there is a natural gas crisis going on in Europe where the prices have soared there and in Asia because basically power producers are panic buying to stock up the yes. supply shortages. Does that factor in to OPEC's thinking at all, given that natural gas production is largely a byproduct of oil drilling and oil production. How does that? I mean, they're not a, a natural I, gas organization, but it has to be in their thinking, oh, right? Hugely, Brian. I mean, I think this is front and center for His Royal Highness. I mean, I think they are incredibly concerned about this escalating energy crisis in Europe and in Asia. And again, what are going to be the replacement products if you cannot get enough natural gas in for power generation? I mean, there could be a significant pull on oil as a substitute. And so I do think this is the reason why we're even talking about doing more than 400,000 on the market. I mean, the fact is, we're all sitting here trying to be meteorologists saying, like, what is winter going to look like? Because if it is a cold winter, as you know, the view is that there simply is not enough additional natural gas on hand right now to meet all the needs. We could have a real situation where governments are choosing. Do you supply to consumers to keep the lights and the heating on? And do you essentially have to starve energy-intensive industries to meet that demand for consumers? So it's a huge issue. So I guess uh, I will see you on that virtual meeting a little bit later on today, Halima. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and we're both up. We're both up at this hour as well. Got to have about twenty-five more cups of coffee and try to make it through yes. the day. Halima Croft. I will see Thank you later you. on in that OPEC meeting. Thank you, Halima. Appreciate it. Thanks. Oh, these days with you know three hours of sleep. Here you go. All right, Halima. Appreciate it. All right. Still on deck. Incredible new details about a massive leak of documents exposing business and world leaders' secret stores of wealth and the lengths they go through keep tax collectors in the dark. They are now being called the Pandora Papers. It's a massive story. We've got more on them coming up next. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. 
All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, yet another Federal Reserve official in the spotlight amid some suspect stock trading. But first, some sad news to report as we say goodbye to a familiar face to everybody here at CNBC, a name you know well and our viewers worldwide. Citigroup's longtime chief U.S. equity strategist Tobias Levkovich passed away over the weekend. He died on Friday after sustaining injuries from being hit by a car near his Long Island home on September 1st. Levkovich had been the chief strategist at Citigroup since 2001, a remarkably long run. And his market forecasts and commentary on stocks frequently received widespread coverage in the media. Personally, I will say that he was always a kind and generous voice to me and Business TV. He was a straight shooter, and he was extremely well-liked and respected, both personally and professionally. Our thoughts to his family. Tobias Levkovich, dead at 60. We'll be right back. Democrats in chaos in Congress trying to save their multi-trillion dollar spending plan and keep the government funded. Can they come together to get it done? Or is all that new spending DOA? Facebook under fire as a former employee comes forward, accusing the media company of putting profits before kids in public safety. Content that is hateful, that is divisive, that is polarizing. It's easier to inspire people to anger than it is to other emotions. And the biggest scandal around wealth in years, as thousands of secret documents leaking over the weekend, exposing just how rich many world leaders are and the tactics they use to pay as little taxes as possible. It is Monday, October 4th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. Good Monday morning. Hope you're having a nice start to your day. It's 5.30 a.m. on the nose. Let's get right down to your Monday money. We are halfway through the 5 a.m. hour here in New York. Futures, they are down a touch. NASDAQ futures, a little worse than Dow futures, down about 79 points, so about three-tenths of 1%. Dow futures down about two-tenths of 1%. Those pre-market trades in the U.S. following a mixed open in the European markets as well. Not a huge amount of direction in any way, look at the, those, those numbers are kind of, is that my eyes? Is it too early or is those numbers all kinds of, all, <laughs> look what happens. Just bang, fix the graphics. You can see that not a lot of action anywhere. Weaker action in Asian markets not closed for China's golden week, Hong Kong, ending down more than 2%. All this as China's massively indebted Evergrande group looks to sell off more assets in a desperate bid to raise money. New reports saying they may sell a 50% stake in their property management division. Shares of Evergrande Group were halted in overnight trading. By the way, we're going to get more on Evergrande Group, why you care, and how big it really is coming up in your RBI in a few minutes. But for now, though, let's get more now on some of your top stories, including the Facebook whistleblower coming forward in a 60 Minutes interview overnight. It was an explosive one as well. A lot of claims. Bertha Coombs is back with more. On that and some of your other headlines. Bertha. Yeah, a lot of fireworks on Sunday, not just Tom Brady going back to New England. That whistleblower is accusing the social media giant of misleading the public and the company's investors. In an interview with 60 Minutes last night, former product manager Francis Huggins says Facebook places profit over safety when it comes to its products. 
the thing I saw at Facebook over and over again was there were conflicts of interest between what was good for the public and what was good for Facebook. And Facebook over and over again chose to optimize for its own interests, like making more money. Haugen, who previously worked at Google and Pinterest, added that when compared to other social media companies, the problems at Facebook were substantially worse than anything she had seen before. She plans to testify in front of lawmakers on Capitol Hill tomorrow. In a statement, Facebook says, every day our teams have to balance protecting the rights of billions of people to express themselves openly with the need to keep our platform a safe and positive place. We continue to make significant improvements to tackle the spread of misinformation and harmful content. To suggest we encourage bad content and do nothing is just not true, unquote. Now to the other major leak. This of financial documents linking several world leaders to efforts to allegedly hide their wealth. The leak, published by, ma by several major news organizations, features files from offshore companies pub uh, dubbed the Pandora Papers. Remember, like the Panama Papers? These feature more than 300 either current or former public officials. Among the revelations, Jordan's King Abdullah allegedly used offshore accounts to spend more than $100 million on luxury homes in the UK and US. The Czech Republic's prime minister's secret $22 million estate in France and Russian President Vladimir Putin's secret assets in Monaco. Meantime, Federal Reserve Vice Chair Richard Clarida being accused of trading between $1 and $5 million out of a bond fund into stock funds ahead of a key policy announcement on the worsening COVID crisis by Chairman Jay Powell in February of 2020. That report from Bloomberg comes after Fed Presidents Robert Kaplan and Eric Rosengren announced early retirements last week after facing scrutiny for similar trades. You know, Brian, I don't know when you have that level of assets, I, I'm just not sure why you wouldn't put it in a blind trust so that there's just no opportunity for even a semblance of, of improper trading. Yeah, the Czech prime minister has a $22 million estate in France. I mean, the Pandora Papers, there's a lot more to come from that. Yeah, truly stunning revelations. I think we knew about Putin, but some of these others, maybe not. Not a, not a good day for public or elected officials. Bertha, thank you very much. No. And by the way, congrats to your buddy Tom, Tom Brady winning that return last night in a heavy rainstorm. All right. Now to Washington, D.C., as Democratic leaders waive their options to try to get trillions in new government spending over the finish line. All this as more moderate members of the party push back on the price tag, saying it has got to get smaller because the economy simply doesn't need the spending anymore or the tax hikes that come with it. Alon Moy joining us now with where we stand on this latest strategy to advance these spending bills. So, Alon, where do we stand? Well... <laughs> Well, Brian, Democrats are trying to set some new deadlines for passing President Biden's economic agenda after failing to muster enough support for the votes last week. Now, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi sent a letter to her caucus this weekend pointing out that their expansion to the child tax credit will expire at the end of this year and temporary funding for highway and construction projects runs out at the end of this month. Pelosi said we must pass the infrastructure bill before then, the sooner the better, to get the jobs out there. 
But Democrats have a lot of work to do to rebuild trust, especially among those moderates who were promised that vote last week. Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema slammed the decision to delay the vote on the infrastructure bill. She called it an ineffective stunt to gain leverage over a separate proposal, the social spending package. And she said she does not trade her vote for political favors. Centrist Congressman Josh Gottheimer called this deeply regrettable. He blamed a small faction on the far left for blocking the bill. Republicans who helped negotiate the infrastructure deal, they're disappointed too. GOP Senator Shelley Moore Capito accused the Democrats of holding the bill hostage to a reckless tax and spending spree. Well, after the vote was called off last week, many House members went home. But Brian, there is still the debt ceiling to deal with, and leadership has warned that they may need to come back to deal with significant legislation. Back over to you. Yeah, and I saw over the weekend that some, I don't know, some agitators followed Senator Cinema into a bathroom with their cell phone cameras. I mean, into an actual bathroom stall at Arizona State. Kind of sad. Uh, w- what is our timeline here at some point? I mean, is there, is there a chance, Elon, that, that, that a lot of Democrats who know that, that 2022 could bring some big changes in the House, they're nervous about their own reelection? that some of this just actually does not get done or is pushed into next year? Or is it just now about fine-tuning the numbers? Yeah, no, I think there is a good chance that this either doesn't get done or doesn't get done till early 2022. I mean, look, what you heard Pelosi try to do over the weekend was to try to create more urgency and set some new potentially artificial deadlines for trying to reach some sort of negotiation. But both sides have a lot of work to do. Progressives are going to have to come down on their number to about $2 trillion. The moderates are feeling really burned after they were promised something that didn't happen. Um, So they are not going to be quick to give up their vote for this social spending package. So there are a lot of things to still work out, Brian. Yeah, and, you know, it is the narrowest majority of any political party in 150 years in the United States. There is zero margin of error and maybe a lot of uh, not a lot of opportunity to take a chance as we come out of this COVID crisis. Alon Moyt, we'll see you all day long here on CNBC, Alon. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, combating cancer. Amid the ongoing COVID crisis, the CEO of Hologic laying out how his company is helping to raise the rise in preventable diseases. But first, as we had to break, one of this morning's big money movers, and that is Tesla, delivering more than 241,000 of its selected cars during the third quarter. That figure topping analyst expectations. Shares are up just about 2%. Dow futures down a touch. We are back right after this. Hi, right, welcome back. Got some big news from inside CNBC. Our very own Jim Cramer, you might have heard about the guy, now delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Jim is going to be sending daily emails, writing for the website, appearing in videos online, basically just Jim being Jim, all to give you unique insights into the markets. You're going to get a front row seat to the stocks that Jim is trading in his charitable trust. He'll tell you all about his winners. He'll talk about his losers. Total transparency with Jim. You can sign up to find out more at cnbc.com slash investing club, or you can just point your phone right now at that QR code on the right side of your screen. Congrats to Jim and that investing club launching as well. By the way, the Eagles put up a good fight in Kansas City this weekend as well. So good weekend for Jim. All right. Well, October is the beginning of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And while COVID-19 certainly has been at the forefront of public health for the past year and a half, 
New data shows that women's health care needs are not being met around the world. According to an index released by medical technology company Hologic, 40% of women and girls around the globe say they have not spoken to a doctor or healthcare professional in the past year. And last year, just 12% of women globally said they have been tested for any type. They have not been tested, rather, for any type of cancer in the past 12 months. That is far below the expected average of 50%. Joining us now with a closer look at the data and what is behind the healthcare shortcomings is Hologic CEO Steve McMillan. He'll be ringing the opening bell as well today to mark the start of uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And, and Steve, without going into it too much, um, somebody very close to me has, has just successfully, thank God, uh, gone through the, the breast cancer fight. Her mother and her grandmother both died of breast cancer. And uh, the, the oncologist had spoken to the woman and said that the incidences of breast cancer in her office, again, just one, one office, had nearly doubled. And she thought it was due to lack of screening. She also thought there might be some because of the stress of the pandemic. Stress can perhaps accelerate the growth of cancers. Um, what is your, and luckily, and, and by the way, shout out and prayers to everybody who's going through the same fight that this person uh, recently has. Uh, what does your study show? Uh, where do we stand right now? And what do we need to do? Brian, I think you hit the nail on the head that the combination of screenings plummeted last year, especially in the April, May, June quarter. And so while everybody focused on COVID, we completely lost track of so much of the longer term issues, which was cancer detection. And also, frankly, with women bearing the brunt of so many of the challenges of the pandemic, whether it's homeschooling or themselves needing to put others first, what we've seen, and my own mother is a perfect example, who is a breast cancer survivor, who was is also a caretaker, and she put off some needed surgery last year and ended up having to have emergency open heart surgery in the fall. So what we're seeing is, especially breast cancer, screenings plunged dramatically, not only in the US, but around the world. They're coming back, but even if they're only back at a 90% level, that's way low. And particularly, as you know, and hopefully the, the person you're speaking to, if we catch cancers early, especially breast cancer, cervical cancer. If we catch them early, they are very treatable and we can get people back to their lives and it's better for them, it's cheaper for the healthcare system, it's better emotionally, it's, it's better all across the board. So we have to get people back to their screenings and it's part of certainly Breast Cancer Awareness Month is always a great time to yeah. highlight that message and we appreciate you having us on for that exact reason. Well, obviously, it's been a situation, Steve, that has been that has been close to me and my family as well. And, and um, thank God your mom is doing well. And, and, and so is the person I know, um, you know, and, and not taking anything away from COVID. 700,000 souls lost more to come. It's terrible. But there are 600,000 people every year, every year who die of cancer, almost as many as COVID who die every single year. Your te your company, if people don't know, makes a lot of the testing devices. You test for COVID. It's been uh, sort of a boom time for, for testing. How has COVID and it's the sort of the rush that we've got to, to figure out better testing for everything, how might that help prevent some of those 600,000 deaths 
every year, trying to find some kind of silver lining in this. The silver lining, you're, you're asking the question that should be asked, Brian, and it's if we just take the same urgency that we have applied to COVID testing and apply it to especially all of cancer testing and particularly women's health testing. I personally have been tested for COVID six times in the last five days for various events, travel reasons, right? We're we're able to put that urgency around COVID. By the way, I'm vaccinated and healthy and everything else, but we're not putting that same urgency or importance. It's almost like we're allowing the urgency of COVID to crowd out the importance of other diseases, cancer, frankly, emotional health, all kinds of other areas. So if we could just harness a little bit of that energy and urgency to realize that catching everything is important. And I think the diagnostics industry ultimately should be looked to as a, you know, a savior here for so many things where if we detect things early, we can treat them. We know exactly the course of action to take as, you know, particularly in the case of breast cancer, but in all cancers. And so having that diagnosis early is exactly what we need. So we need to get people tested, not just for COVID, but for all the routine yeah. screenings, whether it's high blood pressure, sexually transmitted infections, anything. It is it is so true, Stephen, and it's such an important topic. And and I understand you know, the pandemic hit us, punched us in the jaw from out of nowhere. We forget there are millions of people who die early deaths every year from treatable diseases, obesity, diabetes, cancer. We forget about those millions. We focus all on COVID. We forget that there are millions of people a, a year globally who could be saved or live longer lives if we just took that urgency you talked about to everything else. We've got to leave it there, but we appreciate you coming on. Uh, good luck to you at Hologic, your Panther testers and everything else. Uh, we appreciate it. And I'm glad your mom is, is uh, made it through, Stephen. Uh, it's, it's a journey. And everybody out there who's been through it knows it as well. And our best to everybody who's fighting it or knows somebody who is. Stephen, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Same to you. All right. You're very welcome. An important topic there. By the way, they make a lot of those PCR testing machines that you hear so much about. All right. As we head to break, it is also Hispanic Heritage Month. All month long, we'll be spotlighting business leaders, some of our friends, colleagues, and contributors. Here is our own CNBC's Bertha Coombs. My Latino heritage is really wrapped up with being a Cuban immigrant. We moved to the U.S. when I was four. My dad felt that we just couldn't make a life in Castro's Cuba, and he came here for greater opportunity. And that's something that has just been ingrained in me, that you need to take risks, you need to be willing to explore the unknown to really get that payoff in your life and your career. All right, welcome back. Today's RBI is actually a story that actually rocked global markets two weeks ago today, the Evergrande Group debt bomb. It was just two weeks ago, if you remember, we woke up and a missed debt payment by a company probably nobody outside of China has ever heard of sent futures tanking. And here we are 14 days later and the debt issue is still hanging out there and it's unclear if anything has been paid back. And here's why you've got to pay attention to the story. Because Evergrande Group is big. I mean, really big. Look at this cool stat from the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. Evergrande Group has 700 developments being built 
right now. 700. Those are the total size of 513 Empire State buildings. That according to the journal, thanks to the cool graphic. Remember, that's what's being built now, not what they have already built. And they are funding a lot of that growth with debt. Evergrande Group is one of, if not the, most indebted company in the world. But let's put some of those numbers, shall we, into perspective. For example, Avalon Bay and Equity Residential are two of America's biggest real estate developers. They each have about nine or seven billion dollars in debt, respectively. Avalon Bay, by the way, has 80,000 apartments. It is big. Evergrande Group has 88.5 billion in debt and 300 billion in total liabilities, things like receivables and companies it owes. Look at that. Our two biggest real estate developers combined are just a tiny fraction of Evergrande Group's total debt. By the way, the next interest payment on its bonds is $83 million alone. That is the payment it missed back on September 23rd. Oh, by the way, it also has $37 billion with a B due in a year. They have a 30-day grace period to make that payment. September 23rd, October 22nd. Circle that day on your market calendar. Random, but important, hopefully. All right, let's talk more now about the markets on a macro level. Futures there are down just a bit, but off their lows in the morning. But let's talk longer term, because what happens today and tomorrow doesn't matter. Katerina Simonetti is Senior VP and Private Wealth Advisor at Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management. Katerina, welcome back. Uh, I'm just trying to highlight those ever grand numbers, not to scare people, but just to kind of show them why it actually mattered to the macro markets. How closely, if at all, are you watching that situation, which... By the way, nothing's been resolved. Brian, thank you for having me on the show. Well, you're right. China has uncanny ability to rattle the markets, and we're watching this very closely. You know, but what is important right now, you know, when we look at the market here in the U.S., is to make sure that we have a high-quality, well-diversified portfolios, and that there is no over-concentration in any specific space or specific country exposure, which is extremely important for the investors, especially here in the U.S., because going into this fourth quarter, we know that we can expect lower valuations and higher taxes. And this certainly is going to be a different kind of market for the remainder of the year. In our view, 10 to 15 percent percent correction is pretty much inevitable. Inevitable? That's that's what our view is. And by the way, it's the most normal thing for the market. As a matter of fact, I mean, we think it's healthy. And it doesn't mean that we have to sell out of our equity portfolios. As a matter of fact, that is never a right decision. What we can do, however, is take this opportunity to take profit in the indexes and rotate to, to certain sectors that are well positioned for this market. There is always a way to make money, you know, even during the correctionary times. So you think 10 to 15% correction by the by year's end for the S&P 500 Katarina that's that's what that's the takeaway That's the takeaway and rotation to quality Coming out with a I guess a realist view of the market not up up and away and by the way to your point maybe it is healthy and even needed Katarina Simonetti or Morgan Stanley we appreciate you coming on we'll get you back on again soon no way to cut a little short Katarina my apologies on that it's my fault 
Uh, we'll get you back on very soon. Thank you. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Got an OPEC meeting all day. I'll, I guess I'll see you later on CNBC, but I'll see you right here tomorrow morning on WEX. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.